Hi, my name is Jameson. Welcome to the Unexpected Experts Podcast, a show where we dive into the vast spectrum of human knowledge and the ways that our experiences make us experts in unexpected ways. Thanks so much for listening. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Unexpected Experts. This week, Andrew and I have on our mutual, very good friend, Carrie Lynn Johnstone. No, she's my uh, friend. Hey, I also know Carrie. <laughs> I've known Carrie a long time. Very <laughs> You've known Carrie time. longer than I have, but she is our mutual friend. Uh, Carrie is, yeah, just a local Calgarian. She's a singer. She's the uh, second soprano section leader of the New West Symphony and Chorus, of which we are all uh, previous or current members. Carrie <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, is also what? What is your like official role at the school that you that you're at, Carrie? I'm an educational assistant. Okay, so educational assistant at New Heights. Um, here in Calgary, which is a school teaching kids with autism. So um, Carrie's just a good friend and uh, and we're so thrilled to have her on. So Carrie, welcome to Unexpected Experts. Hi. Hi. <laughs> what up, what up? <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay, Carrie, uh, I like to ask my guests at the beginning of every interview, what is your superhero origin story? Or super super villain origin story, whichever whichever you feel you fit into. <laughs> so I just don't a bit of background on, on who you are. And <laughs> just your your backstory, your uh, you just are. a bit of an intro on who you are. And got it. Yeah. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Calgary. Uh, yeah, I went to grew up in the church with a lot of people who uh, Andrea knows and who JMO knows and uh, went to high school with a lot of friends from my youth group and graduated, went to one Bible college, same one as Andrea actually, and then took a year off, decided I wanted to go into music and then went to another Bible college, same one as JMO. So Bible <laughs> nice. college buddies. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And what do I do? I teach voice lessons and I do special needs music classes. And I also, uh, like Jamo said, work at a school for kids with autism, um, which is an awesome school, New Heights, Calgary. And I also get to do a lot of stuff with New West Symphony and Chorus in the city as well. That's great. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's kind of funny that you like went to the same school as both Andrew and I. I had forgotten that you also went to to that Bible college. That's super funny. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Were you guys at school at the same time ever? Uh, were, when, were Carrie and I? You, yeah. Uh, I started there started quote unquote i was in the choir for that first year 2009 2010 okay. so I, think I graduated still... in 2010 but i wasn't in choir my last year right so i i do remember seeing your senior recital actually oh that's cute i was i was there for that it was a beautiful beautiful night um so that <laughs> you was sang for it yeah. i think did you sing did, for I? It? did you sing for the french song oh i think i did <laughs> 
That's oh her. man, that's right. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Wow, yeah. crazy. Yeah, that one, and then what the one I sang with Deanna. Oh, no, I, I, I think, I think that was the same one. Belle and Nui. Belle and Nui, oh Nui d'amour. That sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it was over ten years ago. So I have a last forgive me, forgive me if I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Too funny. I, I do remember though, like when I was in choir that year, getting introduced to you at our mutual friend Greg's house and us getting along super well, and then we've we've been friends kind of ever since. So mm-hmm. what, twelve years or so, something like that. That would make years. sense. Yeah, it's a long time. That's crazy. Man. Okay. Um, I would love to know maybe what the initial impetus for going to school for, or going to Bible college initially, and then going to school for music. Like what was, what was the series of decisions leading up to going to ABC and then going to Rocky? Uh, well, right out of high school, um, the church that I grew up at going to ABC was kind of the thing to do. Uh, it was the the college that we supported and um, I actually had gotten a scholarship to go there. And so I was like, Hey, that's just what's going to happen. And my parents both went there. And so like Andrea, it was just kind of the like generational thing to do. I had only planned on going for one year. Ah, didn't we all? But then there was this really sweet summer program that gave me a ridiculous amount off of my next year, like 75% scholarship. Whoa. How does that even, ha- like, that never happens anymore. Like, is that Youth Alive? Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> but, like, how are they allowed to pay that much of your schooling? It was amazing. So I'm like, well. Did you get paid, though? Because that's probably... Like for the for the summer program? Yeah, like were you, were you a paid no. like count? Okay, so that's because no. when I went, I also went on the same thing, and it was not seventy five percent; it was less. But we also got a little bit of like actual cash money in our pocket. Oh yeah, no, but like seventy five percent of your year—that's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, I'll go to school again next year for like free. Um, and then I had always struggled between like, do I want to work with kids or do I want to do music? I'd been singing forever. Um, but I never really thought it was going to be like, like I was good. I never thought it was good enough to actually pursue it. Um, during my two years at ABC, I was actually like cheating a little bit and I was in the choir at Rocky. At the same time, yeah, it's, because it's double dipping, yeah, because I had to have a fine arts credit, and oh, okay, uh, I was like, well, I might as well get my fine arts credit from this epic choir instead yeah. of this like ten person choir. Oh yeah, so I did that, and uh, then I just like didn't know what I was going to do, so I took a year off, which is when I started working in the autism field uh, for a year, and then. I was actually at some like conference or something and someone had said like the thing that you're most scared of doing is probably the thing you should be pursuing. Oh, so wow. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I applied to Rocky and was there for like the next three or four years. Uh, got my music degree and yeah. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah, you did. But you also went back into 
the autism world. So you kind of like do it hand in hand, right? Yeah, I was I was doing both at the same time. I had uh, met some really awesome families and some awesome kids in my year, which I actually spent that year working at New Heights in a different role. Mm. Um, and so met some really amazing kids and I just couldn't say goodbye to their family. So mm. I worked with him um, part-time while I was going to school. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. So what was, what did that transition from, um, so I, I guess like I knew you a little bit when you were at school studying music, like what was the decision to study music? Like how did that come about? I, I mean, I was always in the choir and I always, I, I mean, it took me a while to realize, oh, you actually have a good voice and you can actually do this, um, through lots of people encouraging me. And I guess I was just like, why not to just jump in and like learn the most I can and see if I can actually do this singing thing. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I didn't even know if I would get in, but I was already in the choir, so they actually didn't even make me audition (laughs) for the program. They just let me in. And, um, I was actually really looking forward to working with, um, the director of the music program and his wife, um, the Edistrums. But two weeks after I applied, they announced they were moving to New York. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a little bit disappointing. But uh, yeah, I just I didn't know what I was going to do with music, but I just I knew that I really wanted to pursue it and to get better at it. That's cool. Do you ever wonder what like obviously now is a much well, I shouldn't say it's a much different time, but there's just a very different way of getting involved in the music industry like I mean, we have like TikTok, we have Instagram, people are becoming famous from YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Have you ever thought like of pursuing anything musically related that way? Uh, I don't know. People have always been like, you should audition for like whatever Canada's Got Talent or Mm. Canadian Idol. And I'm like, I just have never really wanted that side of it. Right. I mean, I'd love to like record music and write music, Mm -hmm. um, but I just like, I just don't really think that I'm good enough to be like an idol. Uh. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it is really cool how the, how social media has really just broadened people's um, exposure totally to things. And um, yeah, people are just so much more easily discovered yeah. these days. It's funny. Cause like, I, I don't know. I just, I asked that cause um it's one thing to enjoy singing and enjoy making music, but it's another to like go and actually learn like the history of music and the history of, you know, the, or the progression of how music has changed over the years. I Mm -hmm. took a, I had to do a fine arts credit as well. And I ended up taking, I weaseled my way in. I should have, I, I think I was supposed to take like an actual choir class or, um, like something just like a little bit more hands-on, but I really didn't want to take another choir class when I was in New West. Um, I felt like that was also just like cheating on my choir. So I was like, no, I cannot be in two choirs at once. This is just not the way it is. And so I ended up taking a jazz history course, which was, I mean, it was, it was like interesting, um, but it was not what I 
<laughs> like I didn't want to learn about the history of jazz. Like it just was not on my radar, but I had to take this music credit for the fine arts slot on my degree. But I mean, I do think that like taking a whole degree in music, uh, depending on what you want to do with it is maybe not that necessary. <laughs> mm. Um, in today's world. Um, like I am really thankful that I have some of the education that I had in order to teach music. Right, um, yeah. but I can't say that I've really used all of my music history classes. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, me either. I guess those, that's, those classes I mean, were such a, a chore for me to get through. They were brutal. They were, they were the hardest brutal. classes I've ever taken. <laughs> like ever. jazz history, I think would be mildly more interesting than having to learn about Gregorian chant and the Baroque era. Yeah. Like the content might've been a bit more like interesting and maybe applicable to today's totally musical taste or whatever. But yeah, I think the most stressful, it's important to know like where we came from, obviously, if nothing else, it's important to know like the origin of it and then to see the advancements throughout the, the centuries. The one, was, one of the most stressful things that we had to do um, was like legitimately like memorize music. And so, and then he, like our teacher would, um, he would play a snippet, yeah. but it would be anywhere in the middle of it. And you had mm-hmm. to, you had to write down who it was, what the song was called and what yep. year that song came out. And I was like, what on earth yeah i know it was brutal. i will pee my pants it, yeah. it's even Every worse time. when it's all like classical or baroque yeah. music and they all sound the same yeah. totally. and you have to like say what movement it was from that's right, right. oh yeah it's the worst. Oh, yeah terrible Absolutely. and then you would have to list that composer's dates as well oh brother yeah, yeah. like yeah it's brutal. funny we were talking about this last well week or class. on yeah. the podcast last week of just like why do we why do we force children to learn dates of things like there are some things I think are important which that was the other thing that I wanted to adjust from that podcast was correcting that World War II is not 1944 it was 1945 it was off by one year but whatever just just put a a note in there yeah for all listeners I'm not completely bonkers but yeah yeah. Actually, I, I like that we're talking about education right now because currently you're working, Carrie Lynn, at uh, New Heights here in Calgary. Not, uh, sorry, not a New Heights. You're working at New Heights. I mean, both apply. Um, <laughs> at, well, there we go. Uh, but maybe tell us a little bit about um, maybe initially what drew you towards um, special needs kids in the first place and then what that entrance into New Heights looked like for you. Uh, well, I've always been around special needs kids. My brother uh, has special needs. He doesn't have a diagnosis, but he's developmentally delayed from having uh, seizures as a young child. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I was always around it. He went to a special needs camp. I volunteered at that camp a couple years, and I also worked at that camp. Um, so I was always around it, and I just kind of was super comfortable around um, individuals with varying degrees of needs and uh, challenges. And uh, when I took a year off of in between colleges, I was kind of looking for a job. And my good friend, Jen, 
uh, Bodegel, Lowen, uh, was like, hey, <laughs> you should come check out this cool place called New Heights. You would be so good at it. And so I already had a little bit of experience working at a summer camp for kids with uh, special needs. And so it was just a really easy kind of transition. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of just like what started it. And once I started working with autism specifically, I totally fell in love with it, um, with these kids and just like how um, broad the spectrum really is. Mm. Um, and just learning like strategies on how to how to help them and how to help their families. Um, yeah, it was super cool. Mm, that's nice. So you and I have worked together in multiple capacities. Can you share, because over the years you've, um, you know, sort of shared with me some of the heartwarming things that have happened at school. Can you share um, without obviously giving any details about um, the students, but just a situation that really um, sort of reminds you why you do what you do? Because I know absolutely that it takes a very special, unique person to work with a demographic um, like you do. And I mean, the rest of the staff at New Heights, but um, and I know that getting through a full school year, regardless of what kind of students you work with is a task in and of itself, but yeah, just mm-hmm. share like a, a story that sort of re-sparks why you go back every year. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's so many, <clears throat> but, um, I mean, the coolest kind of thing that has happened in my life of autism was the family that I said that I connected with a lot when I first started working at New Heights, um, I worked with a little boy who um, had a lot of anxiety, um, was very scared of different noises and, you know, really suffered in his social skills and his academics. Um, I worked with him for three or four years um, privately, as well as with New Heights um, in what we call our home program which was me going into his house and taking him places and like providing strategies for the family, as well as taking him to some of his sessions, his uh, OT sessions, his speech sessions. So um, when I stopped working with him, I went to school at Rocky and I actually worked at a different school for six years after I graduated from Rocky. And when I went back to New Heights, he was still there. And I didn't know if he was going to recognize me or what. So I just like gave him as much space. I never went up to him. And then one day he just like kind of looked at me differently in the hallway. And he's Mm. like, hey, did you used to take me swimming? (laughs) I was like, yes. He's like, he's like, and we like went to all these fun places. And and we like talked about vacuums because he was super into vacuums. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, we did. (laughs) And uh, so he actually graduated uh, not this last year, but the year before from New Heights. And it was just super special. His mom invited me to his grad photos. And I got to like, you know, be in his pictures with him. And she just actually, yeah. Yeah. And she actually just texted me saying he got his first job. Aww. and oh, wow. and she's so proud of him and I'm like I'm crying I'm so proud of him I can't like it's just like these things you never know if they're ever going to be able to do that mm-hmm. and here he has graduated high school 
you know, navigating the city on his own through transit. Mm-hmm. And he's wow. working at, at like a big, big store doing customer service, which like he didn't have any interest in talking to people <laughs> before. So mm-hmm. it's just super cool to see like the impact of um, a school that really cares totally. and where he feels safe mm-hmm. um, to be himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so special. That is so cool. Wow. Yeah. I love to like new, like new heights. I mean, on Instagram, they'll post a lot of um, sort of like testimonial type things where they'll ask a student, like what's, you know, what's so special about the school to you. And I think there honestly is a very like specific theme. Um, There is a lot of repetition in answers in terms of like, it is, it's a safe place. It's a place where I feel accepted. It's a place where I feel like I could be myself. And it absolutely speaks volumes about the the built like it's not just a building there's a whole bunch of people that care about these kids and um it's really special to get to see yeah the, like just the transition into adulthood and what that looks like and how they have progressed so well over the years so mm-hmm. that's really cool it's special What is it about New Heights as an organization that like really, um, maybe really initially attracted you, but also resonates with you and and with your experience with your brother? Hmm. Um, I mean, New Heights is very unique mm-hmm. in the world of specialized education. Um, not a lot of schools have our approach to um, ASD or similar challenges. Um, New Heights has like a little bit of a a saying or a phrase that that we like to use and it's uh, autism isn't a disorder. It's just a different way of being human. Mm -hmm. And I think you could say that with any special need that um, these things, while they can be very challenging and difficult, that it just provides the world and the, you know, quote unquote, typical adults a different way of looking at the world mm-hmm. through that through through mm-hmm. their eyes and uh, i think that's what's super special about new heights is that um we always say like before you look at the student and whatever problem is pre- presenting itself like stop mm-hmm. get curious and look inside yourself and see like mm-hmm. what are you doing that might be wow. making this problem worse or what are you doing that you could maybe tweak or change in order to help this student become more successful Mm -hmm. so you always look at yourself first before labeling this kid or this um, student a problem or their behavior a problem Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a different it's a different thing for for especially the special needs culture there's a lot of schools out there and a lot of programs out there that seek to kind of cure the autism out of someone Mm -hmm to help them be normal. Mm-hmm. And really, I heard it said normal is just a setting on a dryer, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, there's preach. no Come on. There's no Oh yeah. 
<laughs> there's no rule that says in order to be human, you have to act this way. Totally. But we, we put that on people and especially kids all the time. And like, we shouldn't be doing that. And so mm-hmm. New Heights is really cool where we meet every single student where they're at, whether it's socially, academically, whatever. Like we've had kids, they're, they really struggle being in school. And we had a kid who just liked to sit under a table all day. Mm-hmm. So that's where he's going to learn is under mm-hmm. a table. We're going to cool. get down there and we're going to work with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love to um, incorporate what we call kids enthusiasms. So a lot of kids on the ASD spectrum, um, they are really into one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you might hear people call those obsessions, um, but we call them enthusiasm. So something that they just love so much, mm-hmm. um, which is super cool. And so we use those enthusiasms in order to teach them. Mm-hmm. So if someone's obsessed with cars or Apple products, <laughs> Apple products, or you know, computers or plumbing. I had a kid who's super into plumbing. Oh so, wow! <laughs> so there's so many ways that you can use those things to incorporate the you know general curriculum into that, right? So let's do math with cars. Let's like in in really young ages, like let's just count the cars. How many blue cars? How many red cars? Totally. Or yeah. you know. Uh, up in the higher grades, like give them something electronic to take apart and put back together. Like there's so many things you can teach in that. And they're actually, I mean, so amazing at those things. I had a kid who was six years old who had to come fix my computer for me because I didn't know (laughs) what I was doing. (laughs) And he's super, and he was perfect. Like he knew exactly what to do. (laughs) So, so, I mean, New Heights is super good at doing those hands-on that hands-on learning um, because, I mean, like you guys talked about a little bit last week or last time, you know, you can't always learn with a paper and a pencil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And so I really love that about New Heights um, and also just the team um, dynamic and the team approach. We have mm. um, our teachers and our ed assistants are both considered teaching staff. Like there's no hierarchy really. It's like we're both in the classroom, we're both working super hard, and the kids just think of us as teachers. Mm-hmm. And we also have like occupational therapists, speech therapists, and psychologists who all work on the same team and all um, we try we call it we call it common approach, but we all try and um, approach things uh, with one common goal out of the kids' best interest, right? So we're all there for the kids' success. And um, it's really cool to have so many people to tag team and mm-hmm. so many different um, experts mm-hmm. to, um, yeah, draw from. Um, yeah, it's really, I think, the most successful model for these kiddos. Totally. That's awesome. I think, That's too, really like that approach of teaching is starting to sort of weed its way into public school, too. Like, I did a lot of subbing my first year of teaching and... Um, even when I was still in school, um, getting to go to a whole bunch of different schools just to view classrooms and different learning styles. I remember there was one school in particular that was absolutely um, 100% engaged with this idea of meeting a student where they're at. And like learning was happening all over the classroom. And it was just so 
refreshing to see because I, I mean, like we chatted last week, I was not the type of learner necessarily who um, benefited from just sitting in a desk and listening to instruction all day, which has absolutely impacted the way that I want to teach because I, I recognize that not everyone in the classroom is going to benefit from that type of learning. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, I mean, and I partially have new think new heights to think for that because I've seen it in action and I've seen the success that it, um, you know, has both from the teaching perspective, but also from the student's perspective. Like if you can actually meet those learners where they're at, like you're going to go so much further than you are trying to get them to meet you where you're at and expect that they're going to do their learning your way. Um, So that's a huge, yeah, huge, huge, huge goal for sure. What, what is it about maybe teaching students with autism that presents a unique challenge um, versus maybe like the type of teaching that Andrea has done in a more, I guess, quote unquote, typical, traditional? yeah, hmm. traditional or, or typical looking classroom. Like if you have, I'm just thinking if you have like, I don't know how big your class sizes are, like how, how many students do you have in the room at a time? Uh, we have 10 kids and two adults usually. Okay. So if, if you've got 10 kids and they all have their own special um, enthusiasms, then you're having to like tailor your teaching ex- or your teaching approach to each individual one of those 10 enthusiasms. Like that's got to be pretty draining and taxing on, on you as, as one of their instructors. Like totally. what, what would be, is, would that be the main challenge of teaching kids with autism versus maybe typical kids? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say what, it's the main what, challenge. What else? <laughs> I think like, I mean, yes, that's, that's probably part of it. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a completely different way of teaching, right? Yeah. So a lot of teachers right. come out of their degree and they start working in a specialized setting like this and they completely have to forget a lot of stuff they've been taught mm-hmm. because sure. Um, you're not going to teach to like the same thing to the entire classroom. Like our program is very individualized. We can have 10 kids all working on something different in math or 10 kids at a completely different reading level. Mm -hmm. So you have to specifically tailor, like you said, everything to each student based on their skill level and their enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's added challenges, right, with behavioral concerns. So issues like, you know, some kids are still learning what it means to share. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I, I work, I don't think I've said this yet, but I work with grade one to three boys in my classroom. And so that's a pretty big gap like six years old to nine years old, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of, a lot of stuff that happens in those three years. So I do have, I have, I have kids right now who, I mean, we deal a lot with emotional regulation issues in our classroom. So, you know, um, not having a meltdown when your best friend chose to play with a toy with someone else and not you, or, Um, they have the car that you want, but you don't have the skills in order to say, Hey, can I have a turn? Mm -hmm. Um, so we work on a lot of that kind of stuff alongside the academic piece. So really, I mean, academics 
are important to us because we are a school and we do follow the curriculum. But we, we always say this, like, you're not going to get anywhere academically when the student is not available for learning. So our job oh, wow. yeah. is to work on regulation and get the student available for learning so that we can teach them. And it might be like their three years in my classroom is all about regulation mm -hmm. and getting them available so that when they do go to grade four or five, they're, they're good and they're ready for that learning piece. Right. So mm -hmm. it really depends on each kid. I mean, I have a kid who's super brilliant. Like he's doing, he's eight years old and he's doing grade seven math. Wow. So academics is not his issue. He cannot handle it when he doesn't get picked first to answer a question. Right. He does not like being last in the lineup. He might see someone that, you know, did something he didn't like and he's going to go <laughs> over and hit them. So right, yeah. academics is not his issue right now. It's that social awareness, social appropriateness, keeping his body regulated, his like new phrases. I'm going to stay neutral. Mm. <laughs> Being like neutral that. is going to be wow. my superpower. So, you know, so we're working on stuff like that with these kids. So that to me is the more challenge. Challenging thing is just finding out what those needs are and helping each, each individual one um, on seven different things at one time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, to, and it plays into like going into the higher grades, like you said, being available to learn so that then teachers can almost um, group kids together like, okay, we're going to spend some time with math and they'll pull two or three kids that they know generally can get along and are generally kind of in the same learning space so that they can actually do some of that more academic stuff. So you guys are really like in your one to three, you guys are really like the foundational, like in, in the typical air quote, air quotes, typical um, traditional <laughs> learning style um, school. You guys are almost, you're, you're like the important, you know, um, kindergarten and grade one sort of behavior things where, like you said, you're teaching kids the importance of sharing and not necessarily the importance of sharing. Granted, it is important to learn that skill, but just how it will create a bit more of a harmonious space in the classroom because the kid who's really struggling with it versus the kid who's like maybe over sharing or whatever. And it's not even just like sharing objects. It's like, how do we share time? Like you said, not, not always being the first person to be picked when asked a question. Like mm -hmm. there's so much foundational skill and knowledge happening in your classroom that is important for their academic career, but also for this kid that you talked about earlier, who now has um, his first job and he's navigating transit, like learning to coexist in a space with mm -hmm. someone else is a huge learning curve for for some of these kids and yeah. I mean first I mean it, it's even a learning curve for people who aren't living with <laughs> autism <laughs> like I can think of many times where I felt very uncomfortable with people getting close to me and sometimes it like has to be okay and sometimes it's okay for it to not be okay mm -hmm. and learning how to decipher you know I you guys talk about I forget what you call it there but um is it a circle of friends? 
I think it's like the circle of circle of safety or circle of yeah something, something like, like that, that. Yeah. like just learning the importance of like these people are okay but mm-hmm. as you get you know further and further outside your core circle there are people that aren't safe because mm-hmm. some kids some adults even <laughs> have a hard time deciphering who is okay to befriend and who is not okay to befriend so mm-hmm. you're you're teaching some super valuable um foundational skills which is awesome totally we've done some like just kind of some observations of our older students who who started right at the beginning we call it early intervention so started right in a in a preschool program um in specialized in a specialized setting so at like three years old and then someone say that came in in grade seven Mm -hmm. and never had that early intervention and you can just so see the difference of, you know, they have had had people put that work in. And so they're so much more ready Mm -hmm. to um, adapt to life outside of school, right? Mm -hmm. That they're so much more ready to um, embrace the world, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, New Heights often says like, that we're preparing our students for the world and the world for our students. And um yeah, it's just really cool to see how much that early intervention plays a role. You don't really see it when you're in it and in that really early ages, but when you see these older kids who have so much more capability of um, being flexible, of um, you know accepting disappointment, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. and problem solving, you're like, oh, this is why we're doing this. <laughs> it's not just so that you know they can learn how to do addition or subtraction it's so that like when they do graduate that they can be okay to you know go hang out out with a friend at boston pizza instead of just like hide in their basement because they have no skills to do that right so yeah it's really cool to see how it impacts all levels well and early intervention too is important for the like the whole family right Mm -hmm. like it's it's when when you don't have that support from you know like the experts shall we call them um to engage with the kid but also to engage with the family like I mean you are talking about home home program which I also um had a chance to work into and just getting to see the home environment and how that both impacts the kid and the family but also Mm -hmm. how the family or how the kid um responds to some of the stuff going on um, I can remember um, working with one family and it was, it was still a pretty fresh diagnosis for them. Um, and like you said, the, like the family, the parents were um, really hoping that my role coming in to provide therapy and support and whatnot was going to cure their kid. Um, and mm. wrapping, like trying to wrap your head around the idea that like there is there is essentially nothing to cure, right? Like this, this is, um, this is your child. And, you know, as much as in the school setting, you're making them available to learn. We're also trying to encourage the family to become a cohesive unit and actually understand that the diagnosis, yes, it may be difficult to grasp and to understand and to, um, you know, sort of try and figure out a way to live 
as harmoniously as a family unit can with um, some of the more severe diagnosis diagnoses. Um, it's important that everyone is kind of on the same page and everyone's working together with a common goal. And that isn't to cure the kid necessarily. I mean, not even necessarily there, there isn't a cure for autism. It's not a curable um, disorder by any means, but um, figuring out a way to empower both your child and your family to live together, but also to um, empower your child to not see autism as a negative thing to see it as um just like something that makes them unique as we are all unique in a in a different sense but i really love that language of being available or making the student available to receive the learning and i think that kind of goes both ways too like especially in a home setting you're instructing the family in how to be available for their son or their daughter in that way too. Like it's, it's a two way street that you're teaching availability on the student, but then you're also teaching availability to the family as well. Mm-hmm. Totally. And like early on, uh, you just notice so much like the pain of the diagnosis for mm-hmm. a lot of these families. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as a parent, you have dreams of what your child is going to accomplish and like getting this diagnosis, <laughs> it's like, it's trauma for some of these Mm -hmm. families. And so, and you have to grieve it. Um, And so a a lot of that is what we deal with too, is just like bringing these parents to a realization that, you know, this is their life now. It doesn't mean that their child isn't going to be successful or can't be, but that their idea of success may have to change. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. It, 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 it's not really the same, but it reminds me of when I was diagnosed with diabetes eight years ago. And like that diagnosis for me was a life-changing one because mm. I instantly had to become aware of the fact that my body wasn't doing what it was doing for most of my life anymore. And that I had to live a different way. I had mm-hmm. to change the things that I eat. I had to be more mindful about the things that I'm putting in my body, which also provides such a vast benefit as well. Mm-hmm. So it's that it was that initial learning curve for me that was really difficult. But then also, um, like I've I've been going to a few doctor's appointments in the last month or so, and my A1C, which is the long-term indicator of blood glucose levels, was really good it was like a 6.9 which was fantastic so throughout these last eight years I've learned how to deal with the chronic condition that I have Mm. and I know it's not the same with like um maybe a neurological difference but for me like that that's just a parallel that's been Mm -hmm. that, that I've been thinking about as you've been talking about this too that that initial diagnosis for a family can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I remember my parents were like not having it because my dad's mom died from it mm. um, when I was a kid. And my mom's sister is also diabetic. And so it's on both sides of the family. And um, so I know for them, they've dealt with it for their whole lives too. And mm-hmm. so for them to see their son now have it um, was really difficult, but um, you know, I've, I guess all that to say, like I've come a long way and I've learned about this 
thing that I have mm-hmm. and I've learned how to deal with it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, any diagnosis like that is challenging, be it mm-hmm. neurological or physiological. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and I think it's important to note too, like obviously, obviously early intervention is a positive thing. It can be absolutely helpful. I, I think more often than not, it is helpful. There are, um, circumstances and some diagnoses that, you know, if you have a child who is severely nonverbal, um, then the success that one family might get out of early intervention is obviously not going to be the same success that you with your nonverbal child will get. Um, but definitely there are some, you know, coping mechanisms or, some interventions and therapies that you can use to at least find ways to communicate hopefully um but obviously noting that it's not always the case that there is a um trajectory of a positive outcome with some of the more severe diagnosis so just obviously want to acknowledge that for anyone who might have that in their life or totally circle or anything too but absolutely the spectrum is so huge Mm -hmm. and so it's important to remember that you do have that high functioning autism that i work with now but there's also the really low end Mm -hmm. which which can be so heartbreaking for families Mm -hmm. um and so that's where you know a lot of counseling and family counseling can come in to play and um I mean, just getting services for for families right away is so important, mm-hmm. so they do feel like they have that support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the successes and the, the victories look very different for each side of the spectrum, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Carrie, I know. Um, we talked a little bit about your brother earlier on. I had I had a question in here, um, kind of along the lines of what what has been the hardest thing and the most beautiful thing about having a brother with special needs, and how has his condition and his um, his perspective maybe shaped the way that you see the world? Um, I think that I really had no choice in like how like how he has affected the way I see the world just you automatically by growing up with someone with special needs you just automatically have a different perspective mm-hmm. um probably the hardest thing um for me growing up with him and just even knowing him now is just seeing him um knowing like he's aware enough to know that he's different and he knows that he doesn't fit in and he doesn't really feel like he fits in anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so that's super hard because he knows he's not quote unquote normal, but he knows he's, but he's not as severe as some Mm -hmm. uh, individuals who would really not know the difference. Mm -hmm. So he has a really hard time finding he always says his people. Mm. Um, he doesn't really have a group. It's been a really big challenge for him throughout his life, finding people who actually care about him, who support him and aren't uh, manipulating him. 
he mm-hmm. has struggled a lot in his friendships that way. So I think as a sister, you just like, you want to have his back and you want to defend him and protect him totally. from all that stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's been really hard to watch that and to try and like help him find his place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, has been hard. But on the flip side, the most um, rewarding thing is to have seen his his talents and his skills grow throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was a kid, they didn't even think he would ever talk. Wow. They were going to wow. teach him sign language and stuff, like another way of, of communicating when he was quite young. And now, if you know him, he's he talks a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <It's> chatty. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he loves talking. And actually, he's taken like, Toastmasters courses and given speeches and he's been interviewed. He's like quite active in, in, in special Olympics playing floor hockey and basketball. And he's always the captain of his team. And he's always trying to encourage the other players. And um, he's like, is such an advocate for um, what he calls his people. Right. So he, he loves, I love that. Yes. He loves speaking up for them and uh, just encouraging them. And um, it's just been really cool to see this this kid who we never thought would talk. We weren't sure what he'd be able to do, but now he's so involved and encouraging people. And yeah, he just really is passionate about um, advocating for people who don't really have a voice. Special Olympics, I think, was the biggest thing that like really impacted him and got him um, out of the house into a community and um, as, as much as he does look for a place to belong that was that was a good place for him to make friends and you know do something physical and get into sports and you know be a part of a team that was yeah Awesome well, community is important no matter no matter who you are like absolutely no matter if you have a quote-unquote typical brain or not like community is super important and so integral to what it means to even be a human being mm-hmm. yeah oh absolutely i think that's become even more apparent <laughs> in the last year and a half than yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah any think- of us would like to admit <laughs> I think COVID has been especially hard on our special needs community, mm. you know, cause it's so hard to get some of them to even want to engage socially. Yeah. And mm. now this anxiety of this virus is placed on them. And so they're just like, Nope, I'm just going to stay in my basement, play mm. video games. At least that's what my brother uh, spent the last two years almost doing because all of his sports were canceled. His, he lost mm-hmm. his job. So it was really hard um, for him, like mentally and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's really hard year for, for our family in general, but Mm -hmm. then having him uh, just in the basement, not knowing how he's doing, not really an emotional expressor. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so not knowing how he's actually doing just in the basement, playing video games, like, Mm -hmm. okay, we got to get these, these guys out and doing stuff. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's the, the flip side of, you know, things starting to open up again and things starting to go back to whatever normal is now and all that kind of stuff. It's terrifying for some people. It's like 
a long time coming for other people and and being cognizant of the differing viewpoints of that too, right? Like an understanding that, you know, this is an absolute necessity for some people, for sure, um, regardless of how terrifying it might be for for some other people. So it's a, yeah, it'll be a journey getting back to whatever normal is, but it'll be great to see the community coming back together for sure. I wanted to ask you, Carrie, as well, like since we've been talking about your brother, um, what that relationship with your brother has looked like with the students in the classroom and how, how your relationship with him has affected the way that you um, maybe view the kids that you deal with or any, anything in that, um, in that realm that you would like to speak to? Hmm. Um, well, for sure, like my relationship with David sparked my interest in special needs and is for sure the reason why I'm so passionate about it. Um, I guess growing up with him and like seeing all of the struggles that he dealt with, that our family dealt with, um, it just gives me a bit of a different perspective as a teacher um, of these students. Um, sometimes other teachers have a hard time grasping, um, especially like the family perspective of like, right. well, why would they yeah. do that? Like, that's silly. I'm like, you have no idea what these parents go through on a daily basis. Like, or when a parent can seemingly come in like super aggressive and like, no, this is what, like what I want. It's like, no, like they are like fighting for their kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like right. they're advocating yeah. so hard for their child because their child, like they are all their kid has right? That's, that's, that's their perspective. And so I think that has really helped me, especially when dealing with families, just being like, yeah, I know, like I experienced it firsthand. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like your kids having a meltdown all weekend, right? Like they're having anger issues. Like, you know, there was a time where like my brother was super aggressive and um, you know, sometimes I was the, on the other end of that aggression and, mm. and sometimes the teachers were like, oh, well, if they didn't sleep well, why would they send them to school? And I'm like, well, here's why, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they need a break as much as, as, as anyone else even yeah. more. Right. And so yeah. I think just having that experience has given me a lot of empathy and compassion for families walking this road. Um, cause it's not easy. <laughs> And it's like, and it's like, you can't unsign up for this, (laughs) right? It's like, this is, this is your life now. And um, yeah, so I just think it's really given me a different perspective as a teacher, being able to know the road that they're walking. Yeah. yeah, And just being able to see the kids, um, some of them going through the same things as my brother went through and, um, you know, knowing like that there's so much hope and that there can be success for these kids, knowing how far my brother has come. Um, I don't know, it just gives me uh, maybe more strength to get through the days and just knowing, like, mm. hey, like, what I'm doing is um, making it's a difference. It's worth it, yeah. It's worth it because, mm. like... Yeah. And it is making a difference. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, just being able to see um, both sides of it, mm-hmm. I think... It's a very unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it does, it obviously takes, like we said before, it takes a very special person to even walk in the door of that school every day to, to teach and to be a support system and to be a friend to these students. But then there's also, um, you know, just like being able to relate to them in a unique way, I think is, is super powerful, 100%. What has been the biggest lesson for you? We, we talked a little bit about the pandemic and the, the shift and, um, you know, some of the trials and tribulations that the community um, has had during the pandemic. But what, what has been the biggest lesson for you with your job? Hmm. I think um, at, at New Heights, we have a phrase that's called uh, being a solid object. So, so we always say like us as teachers have to be the predictable, steady presence. And so I think that's probably been the hardest thing um, is with the ever-changing rules and restrictions and just like the different anxiety levels, continuing to be that solid object for these mm-hmm. kids, that steady presence has been the hardest, but also the most important mm-hmm. <laughs> during, mm-hmm. during this whole thing. Um, cause these kids totally feed off your, your anxiety, their family's mm. anxieties, and they have their own anxieties. So continuing to be steady and to be predictable is what they need. And so that has been, I guess, the thing that I've learned that they need the most, but also the hardest thing to provide, um, totally. and the most exhausting to, um, know that you have to be that steady person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be a little bit draining on your mental health and your physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, and then just learning grace for everyone who works in our building, um, knowing that we're all just trying to get through. Um, I heard something about like, yes, we might all be in the same boat, but we're all weathering different storms. Mm through all of this mm. so just realizing yeah. that my boat and my storm might be completely different than someone else's and just totally. to be compassionate and gracious through this whole thing totally especially and I for think, our kids absolutely and I think it's important to to note that like for as much as you are trying to be constant and um a solid object for your students you're also experiencing and grieving and feeling the anxieties of this big pandemic that's happening around you. So being able to like show up for your students is super important, but also finding time for your own self to decompress and process some of the things that are happening around you for sure. Yeah. Did you, um, did you have anything like, uh, like a go-to way to decompress from a day at school? Cause I know you guys did a lot of online learning mm-hmm. back and forth between the online world and um, and the in-class world or, or like the in-person world. And just, mm-hmm. I know navigating that with kids who are already struggling with, you know, the social stresses of contributing to conversation and whatnot. So there perhaps might've been a lot of like empty 
moments on a Zoom session with kids, but did you, um, well, yeah, what were, what were some of the ways that you found to decompress if you want to share? Um, well, I mean, in the initial like online learning phase, definitely like turning off screens and just like getting outside, um, was super beneficial. Um, I think I learned that I don't have that many great self-care strategies. <laughs> and so um, I think that I have someone who's very extroverted. I kind of became a little bit more introverted mm. and needed like just space by myself without kids yeah. or without, you know, other anxious adults. <laughs> but just time to be like by myself and be like, oh, it's yeah. okay. It's quiet. Yeah. right so I think yeah that's the the main thing and um and like music for me like being in the choir and orchestra is like that's always my like weekly decompression Mm. um so I mean that too during the pandemic was off and on so um but now that it's back yeah yeah now that we're back it's yeah usually uh super looked forward to evening that that I can just like Thing and get it all out yeah. and then go back the next day that's awesome do you have any advice for someone who is either um considering entering or has just finished their schooling and is looking to enter or is just showing even the least amount of interest in your world what would you what would you say um, would be like the number one thing to think about? Um, I would say that this field isn't for everyone and that's okay. <laughs> um, I would say find someone who does this job and see if you can shadow them mm. or talk to them and ask like what a day in the life of <clears throat> a special education teacher or ed assistant looks like. Um, it is going to be different depending on the school you're in, the type of um, special needs you're working on. Um, and also like to realize that it's not just like uh, you jump in and you know what you're doing. It's like a lifelong learning process as you know research changes, as you work with different kids, you learn different strategies. Um, and if if you're coming through like, as a teacher from a, from an education program, a lot of stuff that you're going to need in special ed is going to be you learn hands on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just problem problem solving in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. Totally, and like, there's always, I mean, to be humble, I guess, like to not put so much pressure on yourself, and that there's going to be people there who know more than you. Mm-hmm. So to use them as a, re- as a resource, yeah, right. Don't just come in thinking, you know what to do because you've gone to school. Mm-hmm. Like experience is so valuable, mm. right? Absolutely. So, you know, jump into a classroom and find out like from the teachers, like, Oh, like, what is this kid struggling with? How have you dealt with it? And building that relationship with the students before you try and, you know, do any I- intervention, um, is so, so key. Mm-hmm. Well, and a, and a day in the life, you know, like you said, it looks a lot different than 
the day in the life of like a typical classroom, um, you know, a, a traditional style classroom, it's very different. There's not yeah. like, it's not like the bell goes and you're switching from math to LA. There's, there's not as anywhere near the same, like there's still structure, but it's a completely different sense of structure in terms of, um, you know, a, a school day at New Heights. Like it's not, it isn't, yeah, you're not, you're not, your goal, like you said, is not, academics is not first. No. Um, it's absolutely no. the interpersonal relationships and the behavioral concerns and how to navigate those so that, like you said, the they, the students can be available to learn. I've totally. always really, really liked a lot of the verbiage that New Heights uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it is very important and there is a lot of stuff that we can take from new heights and integrate it into the schools that are not new heights and the schools that are not focused on um you know only the um autism world or any of the other learning needs that happen in the confines of the school um there's a lot that is absolutely like, I don't even know what the word is, but it's just, it's super helpful. It's, it's a very unique focus. It's a very unique way of viewing education mm-hmm. that we can absolutely take notes from and use in. And I think I, I have definitely used what I've learned from my time at New Heights in a typical classroom. And I've seen the benefits for some kids, whether or not they have high needs, whether or not they're on you know, IPPs or, um, a specific learning trajectory themselves, but yeah, we can, we can learn a lot from, from your world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will just say if anyone's like listening to this and they want to know more about the, um, kind of approach that we teach at New Heights, a really great book that we model everything after is called Uniquely Human by uh, Dr. Barry Present. Um, highly recommend. Uh, it's a very good book. I read it. <laughs> he's an amazing doctor who uh, kind of has introduced this completely different approach at looking at autism. Mm-hmm. Cool. Required reading. I love it. It actually is. When you become a, an employee of New Heights, you have to read the book. Yeah. It's like, oh, an, that's it's great. initiation into their world. <laughs> that's it's awesome. awesome. I but support it's, it. it's, it's also not like, I don't know, it, it is a, it's a really well written book. And it's just a really good introduction. If you are very new to the autism world, it is a very good introduction um, to get uh, the least bit understanding for sure. It's a yeah, it's a good read. I think you have my book. I do. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kirilyn, I got one last question for you. What's one thing that you wish people knew about uh, persons with special needs? Um, I think it would be to like stop before you assume uh, something about them. Mm. So a lot of people, you know, make generalizations about all all different needs, um, especially, especially autism. They think. Oh, is autism like Rain Man? Mm. Or are they like right. super brilliant? Mm-hmm. Are they like obsessed with something? 
And so I just wish people would stop before they assume and like would just get to know someone Mm -hmm. and then realize that autism isn't just isn't like this overarching thing. It's just one part of who they are. Yeah. It's not a label, right? No. Yeah. No. And uh, yeah, I mean, it does make them look at the world differently, but it shouldn't make us look at them differently. Mm, I like that. That's beautiful. Well, thanks, Carrie, for uh, for coming on and hanging out with us, and and all of it. This was this was a beautiful conversation. I'm I'm really glad we could have this chat and uh, and learn so much about this world. Obviously, from someone that lives in it every day. So, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I love talking about it. You can tell it's awesome. Oh, thanks, Carrie. This is great. Man, what a great conversation. That was so good. Thank you so much again, Care, for being on. This was phenomenal. Um, I can't wait for people to hear this one. They've already heard it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if but... they got this far, they've already heard it. <laughs> what a funny thing to uh, say. But yes, well, absolutely. Whatever. <laughs> totally. No, I get but... it, though. It's it's a really fascinating topic. It's a really fascinating part of our world that I don't think necessarily many people know about and it's fun to get a little bit of an insight and a snippet into a day in the life of Carrie at New Heights, a day in the life of um, families who are going through some of these experiences and just getting to kind of see, um, you know, how these educators are really facilitating and supporting their students in such a positive way, which yeah. is really fun. Yeah. It's was, it was interesting, like hearing just the approach that New Heights has about um, dealing with the kids in the classroom, like mm-hmm. the really hands-on mm-hmm. and very individualized approach that mm-hmm. we had talked about kind of in our mm-hmm. previous episode about education, where we were talking mm-hmm. about all of that and um, meeting kids where they're at. And I think if if that type of model was more the model that was used in schools when we were growing up, mm-hmm. I think that would have been really sweet. I mean, like, I can only say because I've, I've seen a fair number of, um, schools and different teaching styles and whatnot. And I, I feel like at least from what I have seen and experienced, it definitely is a bit more prevalent now already in schools. Um, just the importance of meeting students where they're at. I think we've just come a long way in education to recognize that, um, each learner is, very different and like there's not a cookie cutter method um of teaching that works for all of these kids so there's definitely a lot to be learned from the um you know sort of the the standpoint and the um approach that new heights takes with learning in general um that we can absolutely take into our classrooms so i have a lot to thank from my own experiences at new heights that has really played into my own teaching methods because, um, I think it is valuable. I think it's important that we don't just assume that every kid is learning the exact same way. Um, and that we 
just like you can obviously see when a kid has checked out in a classroom from the way that you're teaching. Um, So how do we engage that learner? How do we make learning um, more accessible to them so that they, like Carrie said, like they can find ways to be available to learn for sure. Yeah. I I loved that terminology. And Mm -hmm. I know I said it again in the episode, but um, that terminology of being or making the student available to learn mm-hmm. and available to well, receive. Not, and, and not even making grow. the student available, but finding ways to right. create an available learning space. Totally. Is, yeah. Is yeah. It's very valuable. Well, and yeah, to that point too, like words are powerful. Words Absolutely. are everything. Right? Yeah. 100%. Uh, so yeah. Not, not forcing. Yeah. To your point, not forcing or um, pushing the child mm-hmm. to, to be available, but finding ways in which they can become available. Totally. And I think it applies to like in, in any life, in any part of life. Like, uh, I think of your experience in post-secondary and we've just had a few conversations about the difference, um, of learning in a post-secondary setting versus like a high school setting where you're, you are, you are in essence forced to learn the curriculum, the way that it is being taught and the way that it is presented. Um, and on the flip side, teachers have a specific curriculum that we have to teach students and we have to get through different points of that curriculum. And it's important that a student is actually um, learning the stuff that we are teaching. But when it comes to post-secondary, it's just, it, there's such a shift because you as the student now have more control of your learning. You have the ability right. to choose yeah. what it is that you want to learn about and what um, engages you as the learner. So regardless of in high school or in elementary, when um, the science unit is electricity, we're all learning about electricity. If you're not interested in electricity, sucks to be you. And hopefully yep. your teacher is making it <laughs> as enjoyable and interesting as they can. But like at the end of the day, you didn't choose to learn about electricity, but post-secondary has such a, um, a, a different approach of you as the learner are choosing what you want to engage with. Yeah, in like your you, learning. Can, you can choose what field you want to specialize in. Totally. Yeah. I was just watching a video this afternoon um, from Corridor Digital and there are a bunch of guys on on YouTube. Well, a full, not even just guys. They they've got a pretty sizable company now. But one of the guys in the company was talking about the way that he learns, mm. and he so Corridor are this big company that do videos. They do video editing, like special effects and visual effects, and they have a ton of different like little channels. And um, one of my favorite things that they put out on YouTube is visual effects artists react. And they just react to different clips from movies and try and visually break down what is happening in that scene uh, from from an effect standpoint. It's really yeah. fun, and I've I've really been loving it. But one of the guys in the company was talking about when he first started working with visual effects and just messing around with different programs and filming stuff on a on a little camcorder to where he is now working at Corridor mm-hmm. and the way that he is choosing to learn. Mm-hmm. And the way that he finds he learns best. And, you know, he kind of broke down this whole list of things that he does to allow himself to learn better. And the first thing is if he's trying to learn a new program or a new software or a new application, he'll watch a video about it on YouTube. He'll just like watch the tutorial front to back. 
and then watch it again and take a bunch of notes so that he's grabbing the bits of information that are pertinent to him and pertinent and applicable to the things that he's trying to do with this program. And then he'll jump in as the third step and try and mess around with it himself. So Mm. even before he touches the program, he's already taking in that information and then trying to digest it. And so he's just, he's watching it. He's writing it down. So it's getting into his memory Mm -hmm. and then he's actually practically getting into it and learning it in a tactile way. Mm, So I think too, like that goes back to just different styles of learning. If you learn well from watching a video, that's great. If you learn well from writing down notes and listening and that repetitive um, learning style, then that's great too. Mm -hmm. And if you really get into it by learning it in a tactile way and actually doing it yourself, then that's definitely the path to pursue there. Mm -hmm. Like in the course that I'm taking right now with InDesign, um, we are doing step-by-step document building with our instructor. Like she's going through a whole series of instructions saying, this is how we set it up. This is what you do with this function and this panel and this tool. And now grab this tool and we'll change the color of this. And everything is very laid out Mm stepwise, which when you're building a document in a program like InDesign, it's good to have steps laid out. Sure. And that's a way that I kind of learn in a way, but I also learn by getting in there as well. So having that step-by-step breakdown, but also having the practical application of those steps for me in building this document alongside the instructor has been really helpful for me too. So yeah. And I think one thing, I mean, just kind of piggybacking on your, your last idea of just, you know, um, how how we learn and, and gravitating towards different ways that we learn. One thing Carrie didn't mention um, was that there is space created in their classrooms, which is not something that some people may agree with, but I think specifically for the population that New Heights caters to, mm. um, one of the things that they offer is they have like calm caves. They have um, they have spaces that if you need to remove yourself from the learning that's happening to take a body break or to take um, just a mental break, you can step away from the learning, go and take your break, which will hopefully make you available or create a space where you feel like you are more available right. um, to yeah. learn and then to come back to that learning. Um, and I think that that's important. I think that in traditional school, we are so um at least I think maybe our generation of learning and and before us was very much like you you're in school from 8 15 till 3 30 and you are go 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 and now even in like some of the schools that I have had an opportunity to be in there's things like nutrition breaks um so just kind of breaking up the day that you're not sitting in your desk all the time Um, and seating, there's flexible seating available to students. You're not sitting, you don't have to sit in a chair at your desk. There are different heights available. Like there's, you know, sort of like that pub style desk situation. Um, there's different kinds of chairs. If you need to move around while you're learning, um, you know, just really making it accessible to all types of learners. So I think, yeah, like I think there is absolutely ways in which um, some of the techniques that New Heights um, uses and um, approaches to learning that they have are are being integrated because we are seeing the benefits to 
that kind of learning being available to students. So um, I think it's, it's important to offer those breaks for kids too, because it's hard to learn with only a, you know, half hour, 45 minute lunch break in your day. It's it's hard enough for those of us who are more neurotypical to learn Mm -hmm. sometimes, like Mm -hmm. let alone if you have autism or -hmm. anything else going on, like Mm -hmm. that creates a definite challenge. Like, and I know for myself, like when I was not interested in a subject, I would, I was not able to physically remove myself to find a way to learn. So I was stuck. And so I would disengage. Yeah. Right. Which is not helping anybody. It's not helping the teacher and it's certainly not helping me. And it's not helping anybody else in the classroom because the teacher is focusing their energy on me Mm. and trying to keep my energy up to be in a space where I can learn. I think that's that's so brilliant. Like setting up your education space in a way that you're tailoring to each individual student's needs and how they learn, but also providing them with an environment in which it's okay for them to move away or Mm -hmm. to relocate themselves if that's Mm going to help them become more available. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are times where it can be a hindrance to learning for sure. Totally. Students fighting over what kind of chair that they want to sit on. Like it's my turn to (laughs) sit on the yoga ball or whatever. But I think, yeah, like if, if it is, if students are, are using the different tools appropriately, um, then there is absolute benefit to it. And I think, yeah, I obviously, um, like whenever I'm asked the question, like, how would you set your classroom up? Like, I definitely, I definitely want those different seating types available so that, you know, instead of, oh my goodness, the one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers is when kids click their pens, um, and they just, you know, incessantly click (laughs) because for me, and I, and that's the thing Carrie was talking about, like, look inside yourself first. Absolutely. When I look inside myself, I shouldn't be that irritated by something, but that clicking, I, I become in some ways hyper-focused and I can't not hear that clicking. I don't have the ability to chew it out, to tune it out. So yeah, it becomes a me problem. It's not, it's not necessarily that what they're doing is inappropriate. And I think that's, that is a great example of how as a society, we are trying to almost streamline kids into realizing that like, nope, you should not be clicking your pen right now. That is not appropriate. But for that kid who's clicking that pen, that might be their coping mechanism so that they don't, you know, they don't rip up their paper or they don't have a temper tantrum in the middle of class or, you know, something might be really irritating them and that's what's causing them um, to react by clicking their pen. So there's, there's so much more involved than just, Johnny, you need to stop clicking your pen because it's annoying and it's, you know, it's frustrating the learners around you. Well, but why is Johnny clicking his pen? We really need to look into that. So (laughs) anyways, I could go on. This is like I, my whole undergrad and the whole focus of my education degree was absolutely focused around autism um, and autism in the classroom. But um, if you are interested um, the school that Carrie Lynn works at, New Heights, Calgary, you can find them at www.newheightscalgary.com. Um, on it Instagram. Is, yeah, on Instagram. I, I think it's still New Heights, Calgary. It's a very, um, they are, they're, they've expanded over the years. They have a few of each classroom um, at each grade level um, available now, but there is definitely, it's a highly sought after school. There, there's wait lists 
upon wait lists to get into that school, which is great. Yeah. Um, so hopefully and they can continue. People like Carrie are the type of staff that they have on board. It's no mystery why. Totally. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Absolutely. So thanks again, Carrie, for joining us and yeah, giving thank us you, Carrie. Um, a bit of an insight into your life and your experience with the autism world. Yeah. Um, if, if this episode was helpful for you, or if you know somebody with who's dealing with a child with special needs and they need to hear this, definitely send it over to them. Um, we would, we would really love to get this conversation shared with as many people as possible. Um, also head over to iTunes, give us a rating. You can rate on Spotify now too. You can give us a rating mm-hmm. on Spotify. That's a new thing. Um, check us out on Instagram, unexpectedexperts.com. All the links are there. Um, I think that's and join it us, us again. I, I feel like this is a conversation that isn't done. But yeah, we, we were just talking with with Carrie about another person that we could maybe have on too and I've I've got a few more people that I I was trying to schedule for this week's episode and so Carrie was gracious enough to come on with very short notice but uh, mm-hmm. I feel like this is definitely a conversation that we could continue mm-hmm. for sure Absolutely. Um, so if, if you if you really like this type of uh, longer form episode where we talk about a big topic for multiple episodes um let us know and we can we can keep this conversation rolling mm-hmm. yeah cool thanks jmo cool thanks andrea and thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time on unexpected experts podcast bye